Hello, everyone. Welcome to BibleQuest.tv. This is where we have our un ongoing conversation about Bible questions and comments from our audience. And uh, we're really happy you were able to join us today. And anytime during the, the program, we want to invite you to, don't be shy, send us your comments and your questions. And by the way, if you're watching us through the Zoom app, you have the added feature of actually dialing and calling in so we can hear you ask the questions or comments as well. So we invite you to either text us or call in. Our panelists are Stephen from Gettysburg. Hi, Stephen. How you doing? Hey, Drew. Welcome, everybody. Good. Scott, also from Gettysburg. Hi, Scott. Hey, Drew. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. And Jeff from Exton, PA. Hi, Jeff. Hey, hello to everybody. And uh, Noah, our, our webcast engineer, he's not going to be joining us today. He's out of town or taking care of other Stuff. So you know what, guys? I'm really proud of myself. We did this without too much of a technical hiccup today. Hey, so far, so good. We're doing this before Noah ever came along. So That's true. Okay, okay. I'm Drew, your host from Honesdale, Pennsylvania. Welcome, everybody, to the show. Uh, Stephen, um, people coming in also on your Facebook page, right? Yep. If you're watching from the Facebook feed today, please feel free to leave your comments and questions in the comments below, and we'll get to those as soon as we can. I want to add, though, that Facebook has about a 13 to 20-second delay. So as we're talking and broadcasting through the Zoom app, it's like 13 seconds delay there. So bear with us if we're getting your text questions. It may appear a little bit slow, whatever. You're, we'll get to them, but there is a delay. Um, I think that takes care of all the uh, housekeeping stuff. Also, in the cupboard, we have pretty much no questions left. So if you have had a question in mind, this would be a great day to uh, post a question. You can stick it on the Facebook page there on Steve's link or at the uh, BibleQuest website. You mean we, went th we, we went through all of those questions we had in the queue, Scott. Is that what you're saying? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we, we've got, I think there's one left that we're going to be tying in with what we're going to do today. And then, uh, so, uh, the, but the stack is pretty much empty except for that one. All right, Here's so what we're going to do today to start off with. Uh, I want you to think about the fact that the word has so many different messages for us applying to different situations that we have in our lives. We have different types of struggles, different challenges, different temptations, uh, different mistakes that we can fall in, different resources and helps that we need at various uh, points in our life. And so I'm going to throw out some topics and I'm going to do one at a time. The panelists don't know what things I'm going to say. I'm going to throw out one and then I want each of you to mention a a biblical character or a biblical text that you find a good resource, whether in your own personal life, when you've been facing that challenge, or when you've been needing to help somebody else. Somebody else is in this situation, and you've been able to find that this is the passage that uh, you found very helpful to them. So everybody kind of got the idea? Got it. All right. All right. So let's start with, I got a whole list here. Let's start with tired and discouraged. If you've ever been trying to do what's right and trying to do what's right, and either other people don't want to do what's right, other people don't want to listen, 
that type of thing. And it starts to weigh on you and then it can start to affect how you're responding. Well, in our own lives or helping other people going through this, what passage means something to you and, and can help you through and help others through times when they're starting to get tired and discouraged? Who wants to go for it? I, uh, I'll go ahead, Stephen. Go ahead. Well, I, I'll, I'll apply this one to myself. There are different reasons various ones of us get tired or discouraged. Um, you said something about, Scott, people not – did you say people not listening or be, not be, not having it? How did you say that? Uh, if other people, if you're maybe you're trying to do right, yeah. you're, it maybe you you might be trying to help a drug addict. You're so, trying to help so, him; he doesn't want to be helped. You're so trying yeah. to help this brother or this sister; they yeah. want to be helped. Yeah. So being being an evangelist, being a preacher of the gospel, you know, in any kind of work you do, you want to see positive results from what you do. Right. And being a preacher, being an evangelist, certainly. We want to see positive results. And when we don't, when we feel like we're beating our heads against the wall, uh, people aren't responding the way that, that we believe they should, according to what God's Word says, that's, that's when it, it can, we can kind of feel like, yeah, ah, we can get discouraged. And what has been helpful to me is just to look at the fact that in the Bible, a successful uh, preacher of God's Word was not necessarily one to whom people listened. Ezekiel was one whom God said, they're not going to listen to you. And, yeah. and in fact, he said to Ezekiel, you're going to be like a, a pleasant song to them, but they're not going to be paying attention to what you're saying. So that's, that's helpful. Jeremiah is another one. Yeah. Yeah. He had a job to do uh, to, to give a message to people who weren't going to want to hear it and weren't going to appreciate that he said it. So real quick, I'll just read a couple of verses from Ezekiel, and this is from Ezekiel chapter 7 and verse 7. Yet the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, since they are not willing to listen to me. Surely the whole house of Israel is stubborn and obstinate. That's not to say that I generally find brethren stubborn and obstinate, or people stubborn and obstinate, but when there are times if I get to feeling that way, I look at Ezekiel and I can say, you know, if I can just be as, as, if I can be doing the work he was doing, that I'm a success in the kingdom of God. Yeah. All right. You know, got to, but we're going to come right back to this, but let me just mention for all the panelists to be looking at it. In a few minutes, we're going to take a look at this question. We've got a question from Cassandra, who's got a question about the census uh, mentioned in Luke. So if all panelists will look at the uh, chat window and when somebody's ready to comment on that, We'll, we'll go over there in a bit. Stephen, uh, tired and discouraged. What's helpful passage? Uh, I think First Kings chapter 19 uh, is a place I would go. Um, Elijah uh, has just gotten done with one of the, I feel like, emotional high points in his career. The prophets of Baal uh, showdown on Mount Carmel. And the Lord has shown himself to be God in front of all the people. And the 450, I believe, um, prophets of Baal have been killed. Um, and so the people have done this. Now, right after that, Jezebel, of course, says, you got 24 hours. You're a dead man. Um, and so Elijah flees for his life uh, out into the wilderness. And in First Kings 19, it just records his what happens to him. He, he goes out and he asks to die. 
he feels like there's no one else. Uh, there's a couple different times where he says, um, where is it? I, I alone am left. Uh, it's a little bit later uh, down here, uh, down in verse 14. Um, the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Um, so Elijah feels lonely. He feels depressed. He feels discouraged, weighed down. Uh, even after this great victory, which I've, I've found that to be interesting, is that sometimes we can feel discouraged even right after some good things have happened. Um, and it's unusual, but that's certainly true for Elijah in, in this instance. He, he's coming off of something great, but he has a great trial right on the heels of that. And a couple of things from this passage. One is just to see how the Lord deals with Elijah. Uh, he deals gently with Elijah. Uh, he doesn't say, hey, come on, man, get your act together. You know, like he's going to get him back to work. But when he's on the mountain, there's the earthquake, the wind, the fire, and then the gentle blowing, some translations is still a small voice, uh, that comes to Elijah and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> And Elijah is able to, in a sense, vent to the Lord. And the Lord gives him encouragement. Uh, in verse 17, he says, verse 18, he says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees who have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. The Lord's patient with him, and the Lord reassures him and says, Listen, there's 7,000 other people who have not bowed the knee to Baal, who still hold fast. So you're not alone, Elijah. Yeah. And so, um, and then he goes on to tell him, uh, you need to go and I've got a mission for you. He's going to go and anoint Elisha, his successor. And so the Lord gets him back to work. Um, and so I think those three things, just seeing the Lord's patience and gentleness with Elijah, his reassurance that he's not alone. And hey, there's some productive work you can be doing. Right. Very good. Drew, somebody's tired and discouraged. Where would you steer? Well, I was thinking of it from the point of view of what Jeff started out with as an evangelist and a preacher and getting discouraged in that category, in that work. And I'm, so I was thinking as, as everyone was talking about, who would I go to? Well, I would go to Paul. And remember, Paul yeah. went to Philippi, right, where he met Lydia at the riverside and started teaching, and her whole household responded positively, and they, you know, they, the church started to grow there, right? And it wasn't too long after that, really quickly, on his way going back to that, um, I was going to say watering hole, the, uh, the riverside where they, the, 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 the women were meeting, he went through that ordeal with the, the, the spirit, I mean, the, the slave girl who was, yeah. Closing a problem. So he dealt with that, but that's when he then got into trouble with the locals, right? Right. And he started, uh, they, they, they started beating him. I mean, so the scripture says in Acts 16 that they really, they, the whole crowd started attacking him. So he went from a positive situation just a short time earlier to now there's negative. And I've never faced that kind of negative. <laughs> Yet I'll, I'll get discouraged with less than that. So I go to Paul. What did he do? Well, they arrested him, right? And they put him into jail, Silas along with them. 
And lo and behold, what does he end up doing? Beaten, chained in the inner, inner jail, darkness. He starts singing. When I start singing, it does something for me, doesn't it? Doesn't it do something for you? Yeah. When you start singing hymns, that the Lord's spiritual songs, it does something for us. Well, right. That's what Paul right. doing. So what I need to remember is to do that. Just open up my songbook. Go to these verses and realize what Paul is doing and follow his example, which he has said to us how many times, right? Imitate me as I, as I imitate Christ. Open up a songbook and start singing. That's where I guess I would get some strength from the scripture. From singing to the Lord. And Very good. Thanks, guys. Results. Right. Challenge number. Oh, what's that? Hold on. The closing, the closing scene here. As a result of his singing, lo and behold, the jailer was converted to Christianity, to Christ. That's right. And, and, and the other prisoners listening to him, you know, what a strange thing that these men that have just been beaten and jailed, are, they're, they're singing praise to God. Yeah. yeah if, if we'll comp- and Paul will later write, our light affliction, which is for the moment. So whenever we feel like, whoa, is me, you know, uh, take a look at what Paul went through and none of us have room to say, woe is me. And he could look at his as a light affliction compared to what he said was the eternal weight of glory. All right, topic number two, and let's uh, pick up the pace here and go through a few of these a little bit quicker, and then we'll be getting to Cassandra's question in a few minutes. Facing illness or tragedy. What would be a key text you found helpful to you or to others facing illness or tragedy? Job. Yeah. You can't, you can't overlook Job. I mean, whatever illnesses we face and whatever tragedies we face, few of us face worse than Job who lost not only his health, but all his family except for his wife. And uh, I'm not sure he was particularly encouraged about the fact he didn't lose his wife, given her attitude toward him during his difficulties. Yeah. Stephen. I love Paul's statement in Second Corinthians chapter 12, uh, after praying to the Lord three times, begging the Lord, uh, there's times where we're praying for a loved one or for ourselves, and we feel like uh, he's not answering our prayers. Um, and here, we don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, but it says in Second Corinthians 12, verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Very good. Drew. Phrase your question again. A passage that's helpful to you in facing illness or tragedy. Yeah, um, I would go to 1 Corinthians 15, one of my favorite chapters right now. But in fact, in verse 20, it says, Christ has been risen from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Yeah. I faced a tragedy a few years ago. Right. You did. You went through it, and it was kind of a, it was an ongoing tragedy. It went through a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, verse 22. Yeah. For as if Adam die, all die, so also in Christ shall all be alive. 
Yeah. And uh, I'll throw in one here as well. Um, when my son Adam died, one passage that helped me was Acts 12. Because the day before my son died, I prayed for his and my other kids' safety. And, and the next day my son was dead. And in Acts 12, you see people praying for Peter who had been arrested and they were going to kill him. Mm -hmm. And people prayed, and he was spared. But you know what? James wasn't. Yeah. And Jesus picked 12 apostles, and one of them was James. And the three that were closest to Jesus were who? Peter, James, Peter, and John. John, and James. And he didn't intervene for James. Were, were people not praying for James? Oh, I would think people were praying for James but that didn't mean that the Lord was going to intervene every time. And Peter, the Lord did intervene this time, but he's going to intervene later. We know from John 21, Peter spends his whole life knowing what? He's, he's going, going to, to die. Yeah. Yeah. So we can be thankful for our prayers that are answered the way that we would like them to be answered, but to accept that not every prayer we have is going to be answered immediately and in the way that we, that we want it now. You know, we, we face various health issues and we face various dangerous situations and we pray God's protection. And one time we get well, another time disaster is averted. Another time we get healed from some kind of disease or whatever we overcome. But eventually there comes a time for every one of us, unless the Lord comes first, where we don't eventually there's going to come a time where we die. And however much we rely on God's protection, because there is sin in the world, it has been decreed, we are going to die. It's a point right. of man wants to die. Exactly. But, but then what we have to understand is, for those who are in Christ, that is not defeat, that is not the end. And so you prayed for your son's protection the day before he died. And what you had in mind specifically, maybe at the moment that you prayed, was one kind of protection, one level of protection in a temporal sense. But ultimately, what, what God has in mind and what you desired for your son was an eternal protection. And so sometimes God answers our prayers in, in the ultimate way when we're looking for it to be answered in a specific way and his way is yeah. better. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes we pray for something and it comes a long time later. I, I always get amused with uh, Zacharias who is an old man, well stricken in years. And the angel says, your prayers are hurt. You're going to have a child. And I suspect that those prayers were a number of years old. Uh, so you don't know when. All right. Topic number three. Let's go for ah, tension between, say, some brethren. Uh, maybe, maybe you're dealing with a brother and there's just some friction and tension. Or maybe you're trying to help a couple of Stephen. Uh, we had uh, one of the viewers, Daniel, on Facebook add the verse, For I am convinced, or for I consider, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Romans eight eighteen. Very good. Very good. Thanks for that, Dan. Sorry, if you never look at it, you want to look at it more. There's some parallels between 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 and Romans 8. A lot of good stuff there on suffering. We won't 
uh, going to all that now, but if you'd like to follow up on that. Um, thank you for that. Um, all right, which one did I pick there? Oh yeah, tension. So maybe you're having trouble getting along with a person, uh, some personality class, some friction. Maybe you're trying to help uh, a couple of brothers or a couple of sisters who are at, at odds with each other. Reaching into the tool chest of scripture, what passage have you found really powerful and effective there? I'm not sure if it, I would say this one's powerful or effective, but I can't think of where it's located, but it's the one where Paul talks to the brethren to help the two sisters who are at a disagreement. Philippians yeah, Philippians 4. Of course. Four. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And you know, they were having some kind of difficulty or differences of opinion. We don't know what they were. But and I'm inclined to think, to yeah, in chapter 4, he says, verse 2, Philippians 4, 2, I exhort Euodia and I exhort Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And then he encourages another, help them. Uh, now, the fact that he singles them out suggests a good possibility that there was perhaps some friction there. Maybe for some other reason, he just said, hey, you two, be of one mind in the Lord, even if there wasn't a problem. But the fact that he singled them out suggests that there might have been some tension there. And if there was, one of the things I find interesting there, that phrase, be of the same mind in the Lord, not all translations translate it the same way, but the phrase is the same in the Greek back in chapter 2. So I suspect that Paul's thinking about his good friends, Yodi and Syntyche, when he's writing chapter two and what is it he says there he says make starting verse two make full my joy that you be of the same mind having the same love being of one accord of one mind doing nothing through faction or through vainglory and then here's some of the secrets in lowliness of mind each counting other better than himself not looking each of you to his own things but each also to the things of others. And then after telling them to do that, what example does he appeal to? Jesus is being the same mind as Christ. Yeah. You know, so I think that one's really powerful. Thanks, Drew. What's another one? I, I think about, and this is related to that last point that you made, um, when you look at the end of Ephesians 4 and the beginning of Ephesians 5, um, Ephesians four thirty one. let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I like this for two reasons. One, because, I mean, it tells us what we all need to do. We all need to put away bitterness and wrath and those things. And But we might say, well, I'm putting away those things, but they're not. <laughs> and, you know, they need to hear this verse. But he goes on to say, you forgive them as God forgave you, and you be an imitator of God. Of course, when Jesus was forgiving others, they were crucifying him. And just thinking about Jesus, you know, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
Yeah. Uh, that's just so powerful to think about Jesus' example. Whenever there's tension, of course, when we compare it to that, the tension usually doesn't seem like that big of yeah, a problem. Right. But just remembering they don't know what they're doing, and I need to treat them as Christ has treated me. Jeff. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was distracted. I've, I've been thinking about this question, and we're going to get oh, okay. to the moment. And so okay, was, good, 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 because we want to get to that in a minute. So, so you're excused on that. We got well, a couple of... Hold on a second. Are you going to go to uh, Cassandra's uh, question yet? Because You want to go ahead and address that question now, Jeff? Well, well before you do, though, I want to bring another subject up. Sure. Um, and before we get to the next subject, we had a couple of comments come in on Facebook that I want to get to real quick. We got a lot of befores here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start our own queue of uh, just this program. Um, Herman uh, recommended Galatians 6, 2 through 10. Um, some very helpful passages uh, within that. Um, Galatians 2, uh, 6 through 10. Um, or 6, 2 through 10. Sorry, I've got those numbers mixed up. Um where he talks about uh, bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught share. Uh, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And uh, we had one other comment come in from Dan, uh, who says, sometimes the wills of two people are both so strong that separation may be the wisest recourse. And he quotes Acts 15, 36 to 39. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, uh, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. So that's an interesting passage to think about because in that situation, there's not necessarily a right or wrong. It's a preference. You know, Paul doesn't want to take John Mark and there's reasons for that. And Barnabas wants to take John Mark and there's reasons for that. And so in their work, they choose to go different directions. And it's also important that they're, they're not confusing fellowship with each other it's they have a strong disagreement but then they split up the work it would have been that paul and barnabas would have gone down through cyprus and then up into what we now call turkey instead okay we're going to go our different ways you and mark can cover the the cyprus work silas and i will take the work up here uh and there are times when that that can be uh uh, uh i remember one time uh considering a work uh, that I was really interested, excited about, but the direction that uh, the brother was intending to go, I just did not think was going to be effective if it followed through with the plan it was going to start on. And so without, I made my position clear without pushing it further. I just thought, okay, well, I won't do that because it would be, 
it, it would be a struggle for me to try to fit into that format. So instead, I focused in one area, he focused in another area, and, and good was done in both places. Good. Um, Drew, I think you had something, and then we get to the earlier yeah. question with Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to put up a, a polling for our audience on the um, Zoom app. And what will happen is, as you're watching the program, you'll see a little pop-up window come over the video, and it's going to have one question. And so now we want to ask you in the audience this question, and then just click the answer. Um, and it's a simple question. Let me launch the poll. Uh, which Bible version do you personally prefer to use? And so there's the poll, and we'll leave that poll up for a few minutes. Everybody, please give us an answer. Um, now, if you're on Facebook, you I'm not sure if you even see the poll on Facebook. I'd be curious. I don't think so. Yeah. So, so let me give the answers, and, and anyone on Facebook could text in your answer because we do want to find out, you know, what versions people are using, those that come in and tune into the program each week. Which Bible version do you prefer to use? The New King James Version, King James Version, American Standard Version, the New American Standard Version, English Standard Version, the Living Bible, the New International Version, or other. So just spend a second or two to click off and answer the question. Um, in fact, you guys can, I think, in the panel do it as well. And panelists can also do it as well. We, now, we don't, this is anonymous. We don't know who's answering the questions. We just want to get a rough feel for people that are yeah. tuning in. And, and if you're on Facebook uh, viewing right now, please feel free to just leave your favorite Bible translation in the comments below. And uh, we can add that to the poll later on. So um, don't feel left out, even if you can't see that poll on your screen right now. Uh, what's your favorite Bible translation? Just leave that. And in the coming weeks, in the coming weeks, we're going to have a, a, a webcast where we discuss high points and low points and stuff with some of the different translations. Yeah, the different That's translations, true. how we got them, and you know what they're yeah. about. We want to start off with this question. And one more thing, real quick, as we wrap up that previous subject, we had a, a comment come in at the very end from Neil about this idea of separating in the work. And he said, but yep. that thought is not the ideal, right? Um, and to some extent, I would say generally that's correct. That's not ideal to have to split up and do different things. But in some ways, it depends on the circumstance. And Dan commented earlier, it really depends. Uh, in this case, you know, you wish they could have gotten along better, but they both ended up going on trips. And in some ways, yeah. there was more work than ended up getting done. And this wasn't, this wasn't like a church split. We're going to do that. This was, they were going to go on a mission together and they couldn't agree on the best way to do it. So they divided the mission and went two ways. And then of course we see Paul later speaking favorably of uh, John Mark and talking about his work and Barnabas's work. So the, it, it, it didn't result in this, this bitterness and uh, uh, rejection of each other long term. Yeah, I love that passage where he says, you know, tell Mark to come to me, and that, that's, that's cool. Yeah. I'm going to shut the poll off in a few seconds. Anyone didn't make it in yet, please answer the poll. The pop-up window, you have your choices. Just click off which box. All right, Jeff, you have been working on this question. Let's take a look at this now. 
Uh, Cassandra says, heard this mentioned recently that the widespread consensus recorded that the birth of Jesus is not mentioned in any other historical document apart from the Bible and actually is a myth and didn't really happen. Have you heard this? I don't know that I've heard it phrased that way, but I have heard it disputed as to when a census happened or something like that. The text is, and does anybody have the Luke passage open there? Yeah, Luke chapter 2, and going to, I'll read from verses 1 and 2. Now it came to pass, and this, of course, the story of the birth of Jesus. Right. Now it came to pass in those days, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be enrolled. I'm reading from the American Standard. This was the first enrollment made when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Um, and so, of course, this is the occasion when Mary and Joseph make their way to Bethlehem on account of this enrollment, and then Jesus ends up being born in, in Bethlehem. So that's the passage there that's in view. And go ahead. Uh, well, I was going to just throw this out, and then whatever you've been looking up to. Luke, most singularly, is the one that ties in the Roman background. Yeah. Like for instance, Luke chapter 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iteria, Trachonitis, Asinius, uh, tetrarch of Abilene, in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias. He sets the historical stage. And uh, don't you, if you want to look up, um, William Ramsey was a very prominent archaeologist, historian, or, or who worked with the history and archaeology of, of the New Testament back like early 1900s, probably one of the most prominent scholars at the time. He said he was brought up in the Tubingen school theory that looked at the book of Acts as a later work, like from the second century and unhistorical. And as he did his work, he was impressed just with how accurate historically Luke was. In and fact, let me interrupt you for a second there, Scott. Wasn't it his objective first to go in and show that Luke could not have been at all writing this accurately because there's too much detail? He doesn't say that in his writings. He just okay. talks about that he had been trained the other way, and he said that was the way that he was inclined to think. Okay. But he ends up saying there's, there's different classes of historians, uh, ancient historians, four classes he describes, and he says that he would rank Luke in the very first rank. Now, that doesn't mean that he found a reference to the census in the time of Quirinius, but it's just like uh, when, when Paul gets, is in Cyprus, we talked a minute ago about that, first, that second missionary journey. Well, on the first missionary journey down there in Cyprus, they met a Roman proconsul down there. What was his name? Sergius, Sergius Paulus. Well, guess what? We found archaeological evidence of Sergius Paulus. Uh, Luke is not just making up this stuff. Uh, and so the one comment I'd have, and then we'll see what Jeff and others have, is just a reminder that ancient records are not complete. There's lots of things that we don't know. Uh, there's some things that we have, here's a reference to it here, 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 but there's a lot of things it's maybe only referred to here or only referred to there. And if the Bible is one of the ones that has that, that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. A, a quick example would be 
uh, what is it, uh, Belshazzar back in Daniel 5, who people said he never existed. We have no record outside of the Bible of Belshazzar. And then in the, what was it, 1840s, one of the, some of the archaeologists there, they're digging, they uncover this place, and guess what? They find the references to Belshazzar. So um, just because it hasn't been found elsewhere doesn't mean it didn't happen. But don't we also have uh, Roman historians that have referred to uh, Christ? Not maybe not at his birth, but in oh other- yeah, yeah, Erastus and Suetonius and yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so but kind of, about the census of Jeff, go ahead. kind of picking up where where you were commenting, Scott. Part of the problem, to put it this way, is sometimes we learn a little bit about something in ancient history. And then we learn something that the Bible talks about. And every now and then what happens is this. We say, oh, well, this in the Bible sounds like this that we know in secular history. So they must be the same thing. And then we look at the details and we say, but what the Bible says doesn't fit what we know in secular history. So the Bible is obviously flawed or wrong. And and the problem is that we put together something in the Bible with something we knew in secular history that were not the same thing. What was mentioned in the Bible was actually something else at a different time. And that may be the situation here. I'm, I'm not an expert on this. I'd done some work on this a few years ago, and right now I don't remember what I figured out. And I'm, but let me just share a screen with you real quick to kind of state the problem. And you guys can, um, if I don't get this quite, uh, right. Can you see this little PowerPoint yeah. presentation right yeah, now? Yeah, there it is. All right. So uh, if I've got this right, and I've just real hastily tried to review it, um, when we talk about Jesus' birth, it's a little confusing. You would think that it seems odd when we say B.C. and A.D. B.C. means before Christ. And, and to say that Jesus was born somewhere between four and six years B.C. would mean Jesus was born somewhere between four and six years before Christ. And that, that seems odd. That's <laughs> kind of impossible of a glitch in the creation of our calendar system that happened back in the fifth or sixth century. There's a, there's a slight offset between our calendar system and, and reality when it comes to those years around Jesus birth. But these, the dating system we use now came along hundreds of years later and going back, they just missed it by, yeah, they just missed it by four to six years. But so let's say Jesus' birth is back here, and, and the Bible says there was a census in Luke chapter uh, 2 when Quirinius was governor. Well, um, Jesus' birth is before the death of Herod the Great, which was around 4 BC. Remember how Herod is, is wanting to have the wise men right. tell him where Jesus was and all of that. And there's a well known administration under Quirinius, or a well-known term that Quirinius served as, we'll say, governor or legate of Syria, starting in 6 AD, which would be years after Jesus was born. And so then the problem is, how do you have a census when Quirinius was governor back here? This this, uh, census that was taken down here is apparently the one that's mentioned in Acts chapter 5. And in verse 37, where Gamaliel says, after this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the enrollment. And it's, it's thought, if I've got this right, that it's thought that that's referring to an enrollment that took place here. So there, there are several possibilities here. And one of the possibilities is that we are 
um, misunderstanding what is meant by enrollment. So, so, well, let me pause here. What we don't know is of an enrollment of the sort that we know took place, um, this mentioned in Acts 5.37, that sort of enrollment during the tenure of Quirinius that we know about. Uh, but, but the fact is, there's some who believe that Quirinius had an earlier tenure. There are some who believe that the particular type of, of, of the particular position that Quirinius held uh, starting in 6 AD, he may have held a different position of authority, which would have allowed him to do things such as have an enrollment of some sort earlier. There's also differences in meaning, uh, understandings of what enrollment means. Uh, well, before, go ahead, Scott. What do you want to interject? Let me just throw out an example. I'm not saying this is it, but just to illustrate how something like that could happen. Suppose you read about something that it said when Grover Cleveland was president. Mm-hmm. And then you look and you see Grover Cleveland was president in these years. Yeah. And yet, wait, wait, but that would have needed to be back here. Yeah. If you're missing one piece of evidence, that could really throw you. What's the piece of evidence that you might be missing? He served two different terms as president that were separated by each other. Yes. And uh, so if, if a thousand years from now, people are looking back in history and they don't know about the first time he was president, but right. they know about the second time, right? They, they might have trouble reconciling some historical records that they came across. Yeah, only U.S. president ever to do that. He, re- he was president of the United States, and then he wasn't. Somebody else was president, and then he ran again, but you're not allowed to do that anymore, but back then you can. So there's actually two times, two yeah. different times he was president. So, so it's an illustration. And, and I, right now I have little enough rec- recall of, of – what all there is to say about this that I'm not going to go much further than this other than to say there are a lot of places that you can go. A lot of work has been done looking at all the possibilities. Uh, just to call your attention to one, this is a little book called The Virgin Birth of Christ. Um, and if you take this book, which is... Who's the author? Uh, this is by Machen, J. Gresham Machen. And it's a classic work. This book was written as a rebuttal to the liberal theologians who were denying the, the virgin birth of Jesus. And J. Gresham Machen was trying to demonstrate the credibility of the virgin birth of, of Jesus. But part of, in, in this book, there's one chapter where he talks about his history, secular history, and compares it with what the Bible talks about. And, and he talks about this question about the enrollment. And, and he goes through the various possibilities. And, and it's in chapter 10, the virgin birth of Christ. It's in chapter 10. And if you start reading about page 240, uh, and you read from 240, uh, just, just reading three pages uh, will, will get you a kind of a good introduction and, and allow you to see some of the possible explanations there are um, for what is a difficulty in the New Testament. Drew. Jeff, can you spell the uh, author's name? Because I want to put that in the chat box, chat window for anyone in the audience. They can uh, just copy paste that. Yeah. yeah, J. Gresham Machen. J is an initial, and Gresham is G-R-E-S-H-A-M, and Machen is M-A-C-H-E-N. Uh, put down page 240 is what you referred to also. Yeah, chapter 10. Chapter 10 actually starts on page 238. 
And, and that's in the, the publication that's the little reprint edition, the paperback reprint edition by Baker. Um, but uh, you can, I'm sure if you go to aidbooks.com, you can find a used copy of this cheap. Right. I just, I just texted for people. Anybody want to? You've got 230 in, in what you typed up. It's actually page 240. Ah, okay. Page, well, 230 is where chapter 10 begins, but you're saying page 240 is where the article is. 238 is where chapter 10 begins. Oh, 238. Let me just yeah. put that. And, but it, he gets right into this particular issue on page 240. Okay, cool. All right. That's well, helpful that's to have that resource. Thank you, Jeff. I hope that helps answer your question. There's a, few, uh, there's a few of those books on eBay. Looks like they're running around 30 bucks or so. But. You're kidding. $30? Is anything, hey, uh, you're is 30 it, bucks in your hand. Is ah. any of them um, in hey. uh, Kindle? Hey, I'll make you a deal. $29. I'll give you a break. <laughs> right here. <laughs> oh, free shipping. Sick. I want free shipping. I, I really think you could probably get that cheaper on abooks.com. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I'll check it real quick while we're talking. All right. Well, we're, we are coming close to the end. I, I put up the uh, contact us screen for anybody that uh, wants to contact us through email uh, or even phone numbers. Follow up with other questions personally, please feel free to do that. It's uh, Scott at BibleQuest.tv or any other other of us, Stephen at BibleQuest.tv, Jeff at BibleQuest.tv. $3.79, I saw it on a book. Here's $4.49. Are you kidding? It's a steal. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think I've ever gone there looking for a book. So I Jeff, I'll give you $3.80 for yours. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Plus shipping and handling. <laughs> <laughs> What's that website again with that book, that cheap? A books, A B E B O O K S dot com. It's just a, a portal for uh, used books resellers, re- used bookstores to sell the books. And That's a thanks cool for, our, uh, for our listeners who commented today. Thanks, Cassandra, for the question. Uh, appreciate it. And for those of you that, uh, brought in text and comments. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, one thing, uh, Josh is asking about the poll results and I put the two together and uh, it looks like we had at least for today, one for new King James, one ASV three for ESV and one for the NLT. One for what? The NLT new living translation. So was it ESV, the, the top of the yes, line? Yes. ESV was the top one. I mean, we, we had our uh, six results today, so uh, we may, put that poll back out in the future. Uh, but the ESV um, in this particular poll had as much as all the other results combined. So, yeah, I, di- I didn't put the results that we ran through the app zoom polling because I knew that would not include what was on Facebook. So I'm glad you added them all together for us. Yeah, no problem. Well, hopefully in a future program soon, we'll, we'll be doing a little bit of talking about uh, Bible translations, the nature of those and our ability to trust our, our English Bibles. Thanks a lot for everyone being here today. Thank you guys uh, for putting in everything. And uh, Stephen, you're the one who has to shut us down today. That knows That's that. right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you all next week. Lord willing. Take care. Thank you.